1: How about something just a little bit different? Guys, usually in our Insights edition of Blue Collar Elk Hunting, I have the opportunity to interview people from all over to talk about all things elk. But on today's show, the tables actually get turned and what you are about to hear is a collaboration podcast originally recorded and produced by Mr. Chad Riker from the Backcountry Rookies podcast with me as his guest. If you have not listened to it before, Backcountry Rookies is one of the podcasts that I listen to, and Chad, this guy is just top-notch. The podcast was recorded face-to-face at Hit or Miss Archery in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And, y'all, I thoroughly enjoyed sitting in the bow shop, just like two guys at Elk Camp, and helping Chad through his scenarios. And, man, some super cool questions that every Elk Hunter experiences. So up next, it's my interview with backcountry rookies and host Chad Riker. So, my friends, pull up a chair, turn your volume up just right, and welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting, brought
2: to you by elkgrows.com, with your host Gilbert Arnellis and Elk Hunting Coach Joe Gillian. You want to hunt elk and they live to hunt elk. Their goal is to share with you what they have learned grinding it out for over 35 seasons doing what they love. So come on into camp and set a spell. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunters. All right, welcome back to the Backcountry Rookies podcast. Today, this is pretty cool today. So I'm actually sitting here with Joe Jillian of Elk Bros and Blue Collar Elk Hunting podcast. We're doing this face-to-face. I don't get to do very many face-to-face <laughs> podcasts because, well, I used to live in Texas, and there's not a lot of mountains and elk in Texas. <laughs> <laughs> but we're sitting here we're at Hit or Miss Archery in Albuquerque, which is my new home. So there are mountains in Albuquerque, and there's elk. In the area, right, Joe? Yeah. yeah, Yeah. So um, if you hear some background noise, you hear some things going on, it's because we're sitting here in the archery shop. We're not trying to impede these guys in any way, and they're still selling gear, and they're doing good stuff. Um, With all of that being said, I wanted to introduce Joe, or actually I'm going to let Joe introduce himself, and uh, talk a little bit about Elk Bros and a little bit about their podcast, because they have phenomenal podcasts. I'll, I'll say this, I don't listen to many podcasts because I have to edit my own, listen to my own, proof listen <laughs> to my own. I do all of this stuff, right? right? So I don't get time to listen to a lot, but Elk Bros is always at the top of my download list every week when it comes out. And I always listen to the newest episode. Um, anyway, with all of that being said, me rambling on, Joe... Awesome to meet you face to face. Awesome to be sitting here and talking. Um, tell us about Elk Bros and tell us about the blue collar. So first
1: of all, thanks for the huge compliment, man. That that's, yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's cool. Um, and uh, so we are probably we're just an infant right now. Actually, Elk Bros is just in its infancy. We're probably a year and about three months old. Um, it was uh, something that came out of a camp of the elk pros man i mean this what you guys are experiencing is coming straight out of our elk camp it uh, i've been guiding and hunting uh the hills in new mexico gosh this is going to be my 39th season elk hunting uh, i've been guiding elk hunters for over 25 years i kind of lost count at a certain point there uh and I'm with guys that uh, really were m- my clients, in a sense, that have become great friends. And these guys are like, you know, uh, Joe, why aren't you doing something? I said, they're like, when you take us out, you don't guide, man. You teach, you know. And, and that's because not only have I been hunting and guiding all these years, but I am a 34-year retired coach. And uh, coaching is what I do, Teaching is what I've always done. And whenever I take people out, my whole goal with, if you and I were to go out there, man, is to have that experience. Mm-hmm. And I don't care what you have signed as far as paperwork with somebody else. If you're going to be palling with me in the woods, we're going to have an experience. And if you struggle with knowing things about elk, I am going to light you up because I want you to understand and see things through my eyes. And it might be my 39th season, but... Man, every time I'm out there, it's it's like the first time out there. Now, I'm carrying a lot more knowledge yeah, right. when, when I do that. But I just get so excited out there. And I want the people around me to not – I want them to grow. I, I want them to get to a point where they don't need somebody like Joe Giglio, where they're actually teaching people to do the things like I'm teaching them. Mm-hmm. If we do that and we start passing on quality – Mentorship to people out here, we actually improve the whole situation for all of us, and and that's really been my goal. Is I want people to experience what has really changed my life and and really has made my life special. So we're we're in there, and guys are like, Joe, you got to do something with this, and they got after me, got after me, and they were like, Why aren't you doing this? Is it time? Is it money? Will help you? And just their belief and and just them kind of doing that and uh, giving me that confidence. Well, we were in the Elkwoods on September. I called the guys up in March and I said, I I just bought the domain. Uh I've got the name going and and to honor my brother Chav, mm-hmm. who's been you guys will hear a lot about Chav. If you talk to Joe Jill, you're going to hear a lot about Leroy Chavez, who I call Chav. Yeah. And that's because we've been partners in the Elkwoods for Thirty-nine seasons this year, and uh, and you know to honor him and those other guys that I have shared my elk camp with, and that's where Elk Bros came from. It wasn't to exclude; it wasn't to make it mean to make it a man's club or anything like that. It's just it was to honor those people that have been in there that that gave me the confidence to push this on, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so Elk Bros started, and uh, the whole goal was to teach to coach. I am an elk hunting coach. And so in order to do that, I I wanted to build an online academy. Um, uh, I did this as a school teacher. We did online curriculum. I thought, man, I I taught video production, graphic design, web design. It was my wheelhouse, man. So uh, I thought, this is what I'll do. But while I'm starting to do this, while I'm starting to put the pieces to the puzzle together, I need to build our base. Mm -hmm. So we're like, well, let's have a YouTube channel. Cause that was like the thing at yeah, the time. Right. Uh-huh. We'll do a YouTube channel. And I mean, since we're doing YouTube, there's this thing they're doing now called podcasts. And <laughs> I
2: was, did you even know what a podcast was?
1: You know, uh, not really, you know, I mean, yeah, yeah. uh, as, as far as, uh, you know, understanding the concept, why I worked in technology. So, yeah, I got that. But it was just an app on my phone like everybody else, right? right? There's right. a lot of people who have that app on their
2: phone that have never used Never it. even clicked on it.
1: Yeah, they probably use Solitaire more. Well, they
2: should. They ought to click on it and yeah. click on blue-collar Connors <laughs> and backcountry rookies. There you That's go, it. man. Yeah.
1: So uh, I-, I said, well, we'll do that. We'll do the podcast. And figuring I'm telling you, Chad, I figured uh, it was going to be YouTube that blows up. So we started doing the podcast. We started doing the YouTube channel. And that first week, man, we had 30 listeners, But
2: Yeah, that's a lot, right?
1: <laughs> was, Holy cow, we never expected five. <laughs> I was yeah, stoked, yeah. man. And, and I was like, wow, And we got a listener from this city and this city mm-hmm. and this city. And uh, so I called Gilbert and Chav and you know, we were just all stoked about that and and thinking it was going to be YouTube, but it was the podcast that blew up. Mm-hmm. And we start getting letters and emails and, you know, it's, it's been awesome, man. It's just, yeah, been
2: great. it is. an Well, it's an awesome show. And you guys really, you can, you can hear, I was going to say, you can see that passion. You can see it on your YouTube channel if you watch those, but you can hear the passion that all of you guys have. And not just the passion, but the friendship and the camaraderie that comes along with the Elk Bros and you guys. I'd like to, anytime you guys have Manano on there, it's always just like, (laughs) I kind of feel bad for him, but because it sounds like, you know, he's the kind of the, the, everybody picks on him and pokes on him, but he takes it well, man. And he's just, he he sounds like such a cool dude and such a good sport, but it comes across with this. There's always this value that comes with the podcast to me. I take something away from every show that I listen to. I appreciate it. And I know a lot of other people do too. I've, I've, I've certainly referenced it a lot and I've. Um, introduced other people to it, and, and every time people come back and say, man, there's a really, I took a lot away from that show. So uh, to me, that's great. Um, I had you on today because I wanted to talk about – this was one of the, the things that hit me the hardest, I think. My first year going to the Elkwoods uh-huh. was um, I made it to the Elkwoods. Now what the heck am I supposed to do, right? right? And I think that's a common question that happens if you don't have that mentor or you don't have that coach that's going out with you or that guide. Um, so let me set up my scenario, kind of what happened to me my first year. And then we'll talk through it, sort of walk through a, f- a few of the hard, not really hardships, but just the the hurdles maybe that I had to cross. Sure. And the, the first one being arriving to, so I came out from San Antonio, Texas, mm-hmm. 600 feet elevation. <laughs> and literally the most mountains that we have is the hill country, which <laughs> isn't very big. If you know anything about Texas, um, so I hit southern Colorado. I want to say the peaks out there are somewhere around 11,000 feet. Right. And we set up base camp around 8,000. But anyway, when I first arrived, I was supposed to meet up with some buddies, and we were all going to hunt together, two of us being rookies, and one of those guys was very experienced elk hunter. They were going to arrive late, and I thought, you know, I'm just going to go out to the, I'm just going to go out there, and I'm just going to see what happens. So I went out alone, brand new as a backcountry rookie, and I hit the trailhead. And I arrived at that trailhead and was just – I don't even know what the word is. I would say um, – whatever. I wasn't scared. I wasn't anything like that. I was just completely – intimidating, p- Intimidating is yeah. the exact word I'm looking for. So I'm standing at this trailhead, and I'm looking up at this mountain that I can't even see the top of it. Of course, you know, it's 3,000 feet up. And I start thinking – now what am I supposed to do? Like, how am I supposed to find elk? And you don't even realize how vast the land is. The mountains are enormous. You could walk for miles and be on the same ridgeline, actually, and not even get off of that ridgeline. But anyway, so one of the first things that that, that hit me was, Okay, so do, now I'm at this awesome trailhead, mm-hmm. and I, I know I can see it on my map. Do I take that trail to the top? Or do I dive down into this drainage and kind of bushwhack my way to the top? And so these are some of the things I want to work through. So right. if you find yourself in that situation, you come to a trailhead, how do you approach the, the mountain at that point?
1: So first of all, if I'm not going to the trailhead.
2: Never, ever. You're never starting at a trail no, hunt. never okay. starting
1: at the trail yet. In fact, when you told me that, you know, yeah, peaks at 11,000, you started at 8,000. Uh, I'm like, well, you just passed 2,500 <laughs> feet of great elk hunting. Yeah, right. You know, because right. really, especially in southern Colorado, some of that lower scrub oak country that's going up and mixing in with that pine, mm-hmm. um, it's holding so many and such great elk hunting that a lot of people just go right on by. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and really guys like me, we kind of depend on that. In fact, areas that, that I hunt now, I, I do a lot of that, uh, where guys are actually driving by me. I'm going one way, they're going the other way. And, uh, and, you know, I'm like, and we're waving and they're going, you know, where elk are supposed to be. And I think, I think that's, I think that's the, the hardest thing for a lot of guys is is they read all of these stories and and you watch all these videos and it gives you this this idea of where elk are supposed to be mm-hmm. now the problem with that is is you see that or you see that beautiful aspen park you see the beautiful aspen trees mm-hmm. or and big old park and it's like well where do i find this I, if you do start at a trailhead like you did you're like okay uh, am I going to now have to hike in six miles, mm-hmm. five miles, four miles to be able to find that thing that elk are supposed to be in or, or, or what? Yeah. So, um, for myself, uh, when I, whenever I get into a new area, um, First of all, before I even get in there, the first thing I want to know is, I want to know where all roads are, where all trails are. Um, I'm going to have that down. I'm going to have that marked. Um, I want to know where water sources are. I've already figured out some of the the thickest areas where I think are bedding areas. And what I do is I start to eliminate. So if I take and look on a map, that whole area of vastness, right, Mm -hmm. Um, if I take a look at it and I say, okay, what are the three things that, are going to be needed right now. And most people, the first thing they're thinking about in September, Chad, is they're thinking about bull elk, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I think they think with the wrong head. Yeah. I think you got to think cow elk.
2: you got to think cows. Yeah.
1: Right. So what I'm looking at is where are the cows going to be where they can get the best feed mm-hmm. and still have security and they have their water, mm-hmm. right? Um, I, I'm not worried so much about, you know, uh, I'm not worried about where the bulls were, where the bulls are, because— you find the cows, you're going to find the bulls. You know it's just like that field of dreams. You build it, they will come. Right? Yeah, right. <laughs> you find those cows; they're coming. So when you start doing that and you start looking at an area, and what I like to do is, I don't want to go. I don't want to go two miles off of a road. That that's really or trail mm-hmm. anything that I'm on, uh, and it's usually not a trailhead. It's an area before I get to that. So like I said, that 2,500 foot of traveling that road as you were heading up to that. There was a lot of area in there where should have been parked and bailing off into because most people don't do that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I, I, first thing I'm doing is I'm looking at that so I can understand an area that I want to be in that has those things that I need. Uh, I can almost draw a circle and I start eliminating all of this other space. And so I you w-
2: find you find food, water, security. Sure, but maybe there's a road right next to it.
1: Yeah, within two miles.
2: Yeah, right. And so, with that trafficable road, is that something that you might say, ah, I, I don't necessarily want to hunt there because there's too much road
1: traffic? Actually, I don't. No, it doesn't I, bother you. It doesn't bother you? me at okay. all. Okay, uh, Because one thing I have found out about elk is um, they're extremely adaptable and extremely uh, um, intelligent. Mm-hmm. So. Those elk that are up there at that eight to 10,000 that don't get a lot of, well, okay, so if it's Colorado, I'm getting ready to make a mistake. You know, I say don't get a lot of traffic. Well, it might not be vehicle traffic, but they see every hiker, biker, everything up in right, those areas, right. right? But you go down to those lower areas where people are, uh, whether there's gas wells, whether there's um, uh People that have ranches, Uh, there's traffic going in and out on these dirt roads, on these trails, on these accesses all the time. And elk get used to it. It's what I call high use areas, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Now, what happens is, is if you find some place that's like two miles in between access like that, Right. Well, it only takes a quarter mile and they're not hardly hearing the traffic anymore. They're not going to see anybody. Right. Mm -hmm. So you can be over a ridge and you can be into animals and nobody ever know it. The thing that I love the most that happens so much out there is I will be on elk first thing in the morning Mm -hmm. because I am the type of person I'm in the woods two hours ahead of time, uh, one hour minimum. You know, now if I know if I put elk to bed, I still want to be out in the woods, you know, kind of when I let me back up. So when I put them to bed like you would put a turkey to roost, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. okay? So when I do that, I still want to be there an hour ahead of time because as the prevailing winds went that night, if the winds are are, are falling out of the east, well, that herd's going to move some to the east, mm-hmm. okay? They're going to move with the wind in their nose, right? So I want to get out there enough so that I can kind of locate not just where they were but where they are at that point in time. But... When when I bump into hunters so many times, when I've been into elk that have been screaming, we've had encounters, I'll go 600 yards, and I'll bump into a hunter, and we'll talk and we'll say, you know, how's it going? He's like, God dang, man, they're just not talking. And I have literally a half hour been into a, a rut fest, uh-huh. right? So what I have found is it takes one ridge, or it takes 800 yards of trees, to diffuse those sounds once they get into the trees that a lot of people won't hear them, mm-hmm. okay? And if you've got hearing like mine, you're going to need a young buck with you anyway, <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah,
2: I'm the same way, yeah.
1: So going back to your question that you had there, the first thing I do is I have already, before I get to that point, I don't ever want to show up at a trailhead if that's where you want to be or where I'm going to step off to go hunting without having a general idea already in my mind of what that area is like, mm-hmm. either boots on the ground because I've taken my family camping there or um I've done enough research and have everything on my on my phone so that I have a great idea because I think the you say you've listened to our podcast I think one of the podcasts most people should listen to is the fearless mm-hmm. the the gutsy hunter right because so many people they 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 want to tie into those trailheads because the country is so intimidating or they want to tie into that trail they don't get too far off of it they don't want to bushwhack and mm. if they do they're real intimidated by it right and they're not really going to go like if they were to hear an animal often they're real timid about
2: oh that's too far we can't we can't go that far to get that animal <laughs> yeah. right yeah, yeah
1: so you asked Manano and Luis man these guys generally because these guys are stud ears right now and They'll hear an animal off, and a lot of times they, they don't know if they're going to tell me <laughs> because if there's an animal, we're going. You don't kill an elk if you don't find an elk, yeah. right? Yep. So yeah, I, I think that's the first thing is, is I know where I'm going. And then once I get in there, I am in the woods so much earlier or so much later than everybody else. I, I change my hunting time frame. So I, I want to be out there two hours early. Um, if, I can, if I can locate by sound— that's great. If not, I'm going to locate by noise. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sorry, by nose, or I'm going to locate by sign and I'm going to start working an area by those. If I'm not hearing anything and I'm going to start working trails and sign that I see, if I find fresh track, I'm on it, man. I'm just like a bloodhound on it. And, and I'm going to start finding out well what areas are they using? Which way are they going? And I kind of try to locate their corridors that way. But I, I'll tell you, my first skill set, Chad, when i knew nothing about the animal i didn't have this italian nose for nothing man i <laughs> i learned what they smelled like and i would actually i would parallel the wind and a uh, uh, perpendicular to the wind actually i'd walk with it going crosswind and i would work areas that i knew that probably had animals in that area or possibility within a half mile and as soon as i caught the scent and guys if you have not smelled an elk before early 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 season especially the cows they have a real licorice smell to them as the season starts to get a little bit uh later and they start getting that musty smell the bulls as they get in there you know it's real close to a cattle smell mm-hmm. um but a little bit what i call sweeter i don't know how that's the only way i could describe it and, and there'll be times that you can actually confuse the two smells sometimes i mean when you're just like it's the sixth, seventh day, and you're wanting to smell something.
2: Yeah, <laughs> especially if you're hunting and there is actual cattle in that in that area. Then you're like, oh,
1: man, I smell it, but I don't know what it is. Yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. So that's what I would do is I would actually do that. I would use their defense system against them. I would smell them. I'd turn into the wind, and I would start hunting. And by getting, by doing that, if I would cut and, and use scent to find, now I'm actually locating where elk have been recently, right? Mm-hmm. And And that's a big key. So if I'm finding out where they're recently, then I can get in. I can start checking sign. I start looking at, okay, which way did they go? What were their corridors to a bedroom? And when I say bedroom, that's bedding area, right? Okay. All right. Once I have found that, now I'm back on my phone or I'm back on my map. And I'm like, okay, so where's the water? Where's the feed from mm-hmm. here, man? And so it starts to show me a little bit and break it down so I'm understanding how they're moving. I think that is the key thing is knowing not necessarily... Where they're at and where they're bedding, where they're at when they're eating, but where are they traveling back and forth from? Mm -hmm. And because those corridors are some of the best places once they get out of the parks or out of the feed, they're going to be moseying those. And sometimes if they're comfortable, they'll even bed before they get to the bedding areas if they're not getting bumped in those corridors, right? Uh, So those are the types of things. That's what in my mind I want to do. And I want to be within... A mile, two miles from a trail, a traveled road—not necessarily a foot trail like what you guys think about in Colorado. I don't even care if it's an ATV trail or an access road; it doesn't bother me a bit. I—the the more that people use some of those access roads, the more I know that those elk are going to be relaxed to human scent. Mm-hmm. So, people think that, and, and and here's a big lesson, y'all: is that. When an elk smells a human being, it does not freak them out. What freaks them out is when an elk smells a human being within a certain distance of them that they didn't know about it, right? Um, It's not a house that they go by in the morning or the afternoon, right? It wasn't a truck that came through and the guy got out and started sawing wood. They get used to all that stuff. And if you don't believe me on that, just get on Instagram or get on YouTube and start looking at all of the elk in the middle of towns <laughs> over <at> Estes <laughs> yeah, Park. Yeah.
2: Our friends at Good Bull Outdoors—they've got so many pictures of stuff,
1: stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have elk that come up behind my house, bugling all the time, and I know they're getting wind of my dog, me, everything, mm-hmm. right? But they know and expect us to be there. So I always like, for example, people—they um, go, "Well, why do you wear? Why why do you try to eliminate your scent?" And the reason I try to eliminate the scent is the same uh, reason that uh, well, it's to mitigate. So, in other words, if, if you and I are out in the woods and we're bow hunting and we hear a rifle shot, you know, a half mile away, we're like, oh, did you hear that shot? Right. But if we hear a rifle shot. Fifty yards away from us, dang, we're down on the ground going, whoa! Yeah, right, right. right. Holy crap, right? <laughs> well, it's the same thing. An elk, when an elk smells scent, it's, it's just like a guy asked me on a podcast the other day. You know, I said, well, if that animal six or eight hundred yards away, and goes, how do you know that? How do you know they're six or eight hundred yards away? And it was a great question because it's just something that after so much experience of hearing them and going to them, you know, you you learn. Mm-hmm. from doing that well it's the same thing with those elk and scent when they catch a human scent they know if that's a distant scent they know if it's an old scent because uh they they can actually cross areas where you've already come and grasses burn but there's still scent you know they're picking it up like a dog would but you don't see them jump up and freak out like a white tail right mm-hmm. so it's when it's the same thing it's like that gunshot when they smell the distant smell it's like oh Okay, there's a human over in that direction. Mm-hmm. But when they get a snoop full and you're only 30 yards away,
2: yeah, right, right.
1: they're coming out unglued,
2: right? That wind switched on you or something, and, and they picked up on it, and they're gone. They're yeah. out of there so fast. Yeah. Two yeah. ridgelines. Yeah, they're yeah. out of there, man. Yeah.
1: So, you know, that that's what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to locate that area and— And I'm going to go through, and my first thing is I'm going to go either with the wind in my face or I'm going to go so that it's Mm cross-winding. So that if—the problem with when you you hunt elk with wind in your face, you're only going to smell what's in front of you. Mm -hmm. When you walk cross-winding— You get to actually see what's in front of you. You can see off to this other side before your wind gets there, and you can catch any smell from the one side. So that's a technique that I like to do, that I like to use. It's a good technique. That's that's interesting. And, and, And then once I get in there, I always, buddy, I'm aggressive caller. And so when I say aggressive caller, that does not mean that I'm screaming challenges. So change the word aggressive from fighting From mean Mm -hmm. to uh, aggressive as in doing a lot of it. Right. Right. Okay. It's like an a, aggressive driver is really putting down on the gas pedal, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they're flying down the road. Well, I'm always pushing on that gas pedal when I'm calling. I'm always doing something. I'm either cow calling, right? Or I'm doing some raking, or I'm doing some, some kind of elk noises or creating a scenario to make something happen or to get a response. And a response is not always a bugle, a response can be that animal coming into you right? Mm-hmm. A response can be that animal thrashing a tree. It could be them just chuckling up on the hill or just giving a grunt. And so many people miss those noises because they're so set on hearing a bugle, a bugle back. Yeah. Right, mm-hmm. right. So I am always moving. And, and one of my favorite early season tactics, and a lot of people don't like the cow call. Well, I think I think there's a lot of bow calling going on at that time. Bulls that are mewing, Mm -hmm. that are talking to each other. So I will do that. I will do some of those mews and sound like a group of five or six bulls together, or be it cows together, whichever (laughs) works at the time. And I am looking, and we move through nice and slow doing those to see if we get any kind of verbal reaction or if we get a physical response of them coming in. And I have killed so many... Bulls that are sneaking in on me when I'm doing that because I'm I'm looking for that
2: right. Do you find that more common before the rut, where they're sneaking in on you, or during the rut? Do they sneak in on you as well, or do they typically talk back to you during during the rut? So, is there a time like? I'm just saying, is there a progression no, no. to No, it? absolutely. Yeah. You no,
1: know, I, I really think early season when the pecking orders are still going and they're still buddy-buddy um, and bachelor mode mm-hmm. right there, heck yeah, there's a lot more sneaking at that time Okay, because they're really like elk know each other. They, they, they've been palling together, and now there's this different voice out there, and it's like, hmm, don't know this guy, man, so I'm going to go in and check it out you know, mm-hmm. uh, maybe we're going to fist bump a little bit. I don't know, you know, but yeah, I think there's a lot of that, just them checking it out on, on that and coming in. And w- what I have heard though, is a lot of us don't pick up on it is when I do that, when I'm doing the, my muse, a lot of times they'll mew once. And if you didn't catch it there, they actually gave you, uh, you know, return to call that, yeah, I'm over here too as they're coming into you. But I think we're so intent, again, on the bugle, mm-hmm. sometimes we don't catch that. Huh. Because I have gone over an area and I like in the dark to get to where I can go over top of something, whether it's a bowl, whether it's a, a drainage, right? In New Mexico, we don't have those drainages like in Colorado that just knife down to nowhere, mm-hmm. right? right? So I like to get where they're there and, and especially in the cool night air, I'll just give a, yeah. And uh, man i 'll hear it uh, either i 'll get a slight whistle that 'll be a bull just saying Hey yeah buddy i 'm here yeah or i 'll get eh, right back right, mm-hmm. and when I hear that, I know all right we 've just communicated that bull knows i 'm here, I know he 's there and and I work that uh so that's kind of that 's kind of what the technique i 'm going to do if if i 'm not getting anything that way and There's nothing happening. What people say is nobody's talking. Well, then I start stirring the pot. I start becoming that bull. I start becoming that bull that is advertising, hitting the trees, going to a destination. I'll throw cow calls. I sound like a a bull with small cows going up to a ridge to go bed down. And I am advertising the whole time I'm going. Very aggressive, man. And as far as calling, right, foot on the pedal. And I'll have bulls that will... Come into that mm-hmm. because the same thing that they're going to do with an actual bull you know they're going to be you know they got that herd tendency they want to come in they want to check it out I I'll tell you, Chad, the biggest lesson I learned it, it was it was probably September sixth, and I kill a bull at about ten yards. Mm-hmm. Chad and I had been in amongst this this herd, I mean we stayed in them in the thick in the jack pines and I got this bull to come through, shoot him at ten yards. Chav and I got separated. So after I get the bull down, i I'm like I, I need I want Chav to help me get this bull worked up, right? Mm-hmm. And get it out of there. So I start giving him what is my signature bugle. It's a it's a double scream. So it's where I'm and as I start to come down, I go right back up. It's it almost sounds like a bull cutting off another bull, but it's too distinct and and for you guys listening that's also a great way to get uh a response when you're not getting one and if you want to know why you just ask me at some point and i'll tell you but i, I had done that and and i was being totally obnoxious with it because it was like a person whistling for their kid right i'm just going double bugle double bugle double bugle double bugle chav come on double bugle double bugle double bugle Before Chav got there, I called in four bulls before he got there. Now, I think there were two reasons that I did that. One was the obnoxious calling, Mm -hmm. and the other one was maybe even the scent of the bull that was in the area from the dead bull that I had there. Okay. So that might have been a possibility. So that's one thing I tell, too, is, guys, if you're teamed up and you have a bull down— Uh, it's kind of like using that rabbit with a coyote, you know? Yeah, that's like
2: predator and prey, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I mean,
1: sometimes uh, just getting on it, especially if there are other bulls. um, We have, him and I have partnered up on three different occasions to put down two elk in the same group um, within 30 to 45 minutes. That's a fun pack out, isn't it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The first time without a pack. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah. That's even better. <laughs> even better. Yeah. Well, Well, you, so you, you kind of
2: started touching on the next topic I wanted to talk okay. about, and that was calling. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was another frustration that I had, or not frustration, but just, you know, I, uncertainty, I guess, something I didn't know. Once I figured out, okay, now I'm at the trailhead, I'm going to get myself into the woods. Right. I got myself in there a little ways, and then I thought, okay, well. I'm supposed to be calling. I know I'm supposed to be calling. What should I start with? How long should I wait before I'm in the woods? Do you start calling as soon as you break the wood line? Like, just kind of what's the technique to okay. to that process? I understand. We, we've talked a little bit about sort of your, yeah, your yeah. setups and, and how you call, but mm-hmm. when to start? How to, how to go about it, should, you know?
1: Yeah, so I think a lot of people, they're, they're like, well, like you said, where should I start that there's going to be elk? Well, you're in the woods.
2: <laughs> there 's elk everywhere there 's elk everywhere, right? man yeah,
1: yeah. I mean uh, I have literally we have hunted all day long come back to camp and we 're beat dead tired man it 's the middle of the day and we figure oh we 're done and, and and I would throw a bugle out and have a bull answer within a hundred <laughs> yards of camp, camp. Yeah, yeah that figures yeah, yeah, so I mean it I think again we we always put our own timeline, we put our own expectations and stuff on there look. You know, um, the only time I don't sometimes call is if we're on the ATV, because what we'll do is we'll use the ATV to get to an area, and then we'll get off, get our gear together. And I, I don't know, it's part of the romance of the whole thing. I like to just I like to just sit down, let everything just calm down, get quiet, listen to what's going on, and, and not sound like a guy just got off a bike and screamed a bugle, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know but other than that man as soon as i'm up the first thing i do is is i always i always go near to far so when i'm what i mean by that is uh without my grunt tube i'm always off to the side and a little bit out just yeah 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 three calls just like that Mm -hmm. right um not sounding so much like a lone cow or there's 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 two things that can happen from that it can sound like a group of cows or to another bull or another animal. it almost sounds like maybe a cow's being a little insistent yeah 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 mm-hmm. right so i put that out first i don't get anything like that grunt tube comes up and now i'm broadcasting a little further out okay mm-hmm. uh, still
2: mewing with a tube yeah mewing yeah, with okay. a tube
1: i always you know and i hear so many people go well i, I don't use cow calls right um my calling has been based on cow calls because it sets up my scenarios. It's really, really hard to set up a scenario where a bull starts working a cow unless the cow has been introduced, right? Mm-hmm. So I would rather always introduce a cow and then ha- introduce the bull coming to a cow because that's how it happens. Uh, yeah, there's sometimes when bulls are screaming aggressively and demonstrating and being, you know, uh, uh Uh, really, really uh, assertive that a group of cows will start moving that way uh, because cows want to breed with the biggest and strongest bulls. So Mm -hmm. they'll actually start going that way. But if you haven't set up that, it it, it doesn't work in that direction, right? Mm -hmm. So I always introduce a cow first. And I, I tell my guys that I coach that I'm a lover before I'm a fighter always always mm-hmm. a lover before fighter i you know if you're a bull out there in the woods which would you rather deal with would you rather go get horn hooked yeah you know <laughs> yeah yeah right or go find the lady <laughs> yeah, that's, that's or ready find to the go lady, right exactly yeah. yeah you got some guy saying well i'm getting ready to kick your butt right uh-huh. or you know uh, hey sweetheart oh, yeah. right so i'm always a lover before i'm a fighter right? And then I'm even a lover with a lover. So if I do the cow, then I want to do a bull that's in lover mode, right? Mm -hmm. And the only time you're going to become a fighter is just like you, man. If you've got your eyes on a girl and you spot her and you're doing that thing, the only time you want to be a fighter is if somebody screws with that, Yep. right? So it's the same scenario out there. And so, yeah, I'm always moving. Immediately I'm giving cow calls. I always go near to far. Um, If I don't find anything in that, range like that now i'm broadcasting because the only thing that's going to broadcast out for me is going to be a location bugle because that cow call is only going to go so far Mm -hmm. so now i'm broadcasting a location bugle and i don't even my first call might be the thing you know given given full tones to the uh, on the end that might be my first one if i don't get anything out of that i'm just going high pitch and i'm going I'm going all the way from Toledo, Ohio, all the way back around to California. Yeah, yeah, I'm just broadcasting it, man. And if I get nothing with that, I will keep doing that. And then every now and then I'm going to throw in my double bugle. Because I have found that bulls that – are not responding to another single bull, especially if you're in that transition phase from early rut to rut. That's what I call the rut staging phase. I've never heard anybody else use this before, that term, rut staging phase, but that's exactly what it is. You've got got the, the bachelors here, and then you've got the rut man when when a cow comes in heat Mm -hmm. but what starts to happen before that is you've got those younger bulls that are gathering up cows and you've got those more mature bulls that are staying in the wings letting them do all the work there's there's like the staging phase that's happening it's like it's like this practice session before the game is on right Mm -hmm. so when, when that's starting to happen there then things are a little bit different and so uh I think some of those bulls are a little bit intimidated sometimes to to respond. But when I give a double scream, if if I give a bugle and and you're the bull on the other side and you answer me, we're engaged. Mm -hmm. Man, we have just engaged each other, right? And there's some elk that just aren't in that point of what they want to do is engaging. They don't mind advertising. They might do that, Mm -hmm. but they don't want to engage. But if you hear a bull and all of a sudden another bull cuts them off, Now they're not engaging with you. They're engaged with each other. So for you now to go, yeah, I'm here too, it's not like... um, Hey, don't forget about me. Yeah. I'm over here. Yeah, Yeah. but it's not like I'm the center of attention. There's already something going on. So if I sound off, I might be able to get them to sound off again because if there's two bulls sounding off like that, then there's probably a hot cow. Mm -hmm. So... Now, me as a bull, it's just like me as a hunter. If I'm not sure where you guys are, well, what do I do? I, I, I give a call so I can get a location, pinpoint it, and move that way. Mm-hmm. I think the same thing happens, man, with a bull that that hears there's other bulls going on. He's going to join on. He's going to throw that sound out there so that he can get move into that direction. Mm-hmm. Now, whether any of this is fact or fiction, <laughs> I ha- but this is what I have found over all these years. Yeah, right? it's experience, right? Yeah, exactly.
2: It's worked for you. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. And I, that's, a, I don't, there's, there's a lot of different things I think that happen in hunting and elk hunting in, in particular. None of it's really fact, right? None of it, you can't really say it is going to happen just like no, this. No, no, it, it, it's and not. It's, it's, it's experience levels that say, I've seen it happen like this. Right. And this is a very similar situation to how I've seen it play out. Right. This could be the outcome. Let's try to play off of that. If right. that made any sense, but, um, no, any, yeah, so, okay. So is there any time, when do you make that transition? If you're
1: lover talking to lover, right, right do you become the fighter? Yeah. It, but only, only when that other bull has escalated to that point
2: when he's ready to go. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: So what, what starts to happen there is, and here's where I think, again, I think a lot of guys mess up is that, you know, it, it's so hot cool, awesome to scream a bull in and they come in, they're just friggin' snot flying and yeah. eyes are red and they just want to come in and, yeah. and they're just being plain stupid. Right. Well, yeah, we all want that, but that situation like that doesn't, you're going to kill a lot more elk paying attention to a lot of the other modes and how they are. Mm-hmm. And if you just – and so what guys do is as soon as they get a bull that's engaged, they turn and they start engaging that bull, man, and screaming at him. And they really – what we try to do is we try to rush, rush it and work it up. Men – <laughs> Men are, are not good at just slowing things down, man. Right, We, right. we, we just want to rush it, man. I <laughs> yeah. bet I bet our women hunters out there are much better at this than than we are, Probably. man. Because more patient, <laughs> more patient, take their time. Yeah, way yeah. more patient, yeah. man. But uh, you know, so w- what I do with that, and and I tell guys, look, if you don't know what to do when you when you if you are engaging a bull, is uh, is mimic that bull. Be as where that emotional point is at that animal or less, you know, Mm -hmm. when you mimic them, I found it really ticks them off when you mimic them. And, and I've heard, you know, I've, I've talked to Paul and I've talked to different people and, and they're like, well, but you don't know what you're saying when you're doing something like that. Well, look, I I have two Venezuelan guys in in my camp, (laughs) right? And, and both these guys grew up coming to the United States, not knowing English, but if you walked by them and, and and said something to them, they would just go back with a response. It might not be always correct, but, uh, you know, you say, hi, hi. You know, they repeat, hey, mm-hmm. hey you doing good? Doing good, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. <laughs> so it's like they, they can communicate. I think... If you just learn to make the sounds and learn to communicate, the knowledge part of why you're doing it and when to do it starts to come in. But let the bull guide you a little bit. If you don't have a clue is what I'm saying, if you don't have a clue, Mm -hmm. right? So what I I like to do where most people I think make the mistake is they engage that bull. And what I do is I ignore that bull. And I create my own situation where I've got my cow and I'm focused on my cow. Forget you. Now once he starts coming in and he starts to escalate, Mm -hmm. If he starts to do something where he starts to get aggressive towards me, now he just, he just you know, poked the bear, right? right. So I'm going to turn back and I'm going to let him have it, man. I'm either going to either start raking a tree, displaying, and, and guys, man, the best, cheapest call out there is raking a tree. That's total. I mean, especially early season, right? Especially early season. So I'm going to start doing some of that. If that escalates him, and then what I'm going to do is I'm going to escalate, and maybe I'm going to try cutting him off. And I'll be able to tell immediately the first time I cut him off what the response is going to be, if he's going to get really aggressive or if it's going to back him down a little bit. But generally, it's what's happening. And then I'm going to go back to ignoring and displaying because it's like, screw you, but I'm coming back to my girl. Right? Mm-hmm. So th- that's what I'm going to do, man. And that ticks them off more than anything. And and I'll tell you this, Chad. A lot of people said elk won't come uphill. Mm-hmm. They said that they, that they always circle around you. If you ignore a bull and you act like he is not and you're not engaging him, those animals will come, boom, on a string. Yeah,
2: because they're ticked off about it. Yeah. They want to be acknowledged.
1: And, and, and they're wanting to see what's going on. They are not so... If you were a bull and you got called in however many times in the woods already by 10 or 12 different hunters and now I'm engaging you, it's not their first rodeo. So now they're kind of like not sure. So they're going to go ahead and they're going to now want to check. They're going to kind of check the situation. Mm -hmm. So that's where that comes from. But when you're ignoring them and they're hearing another bull with a cow and maybe two other bulls that are all engaged with each other and you playing all those parts, now they just want to go. Get, be part of the party, mm-hmm. right? So that's when they just come right into it. And how do
2: you build that other bull with cows situation? You're making those near Absolutely. side, far calls, yep. a bugle. Yep. In fact, I... just not So that bugle just isn't like at the bull itself. Are you throwing
1: that bugle downwind
2: or behind you? I
1: I hardly ever throw anything at that animal back there. What I'm doing is, is I try to act like a bull that's maybe off to the left, away from him. Mm -hmm. Another bull off to the right, away from him. And the bull in the middle with some cows. And so, what I do is I'll, I'll walk. I'll go walk 20, 30 yards, and I'll try to sound like one bull in one direction. And, and then I will, like, uh, depending on what's happening, I'll tend to my cow. I'll do my thing right here in the middle. Another bull's going to sound off over here. Maybe I'll walk this way. Sometimes I even walk over the ridge so the bull that's coming to me sounds like I actually moved away. Mm-hmm. When you do this and you move away from them, just like in real life happens when herds are moving, Man, they're coming because they want to get there.
2: Yeah, that's the party right there. Yeah, that's the party, man. So, okay, so if you're hunting with the guys, right, the elk bros, uh huh are they playing those other roles too? So oh. then it's not just you out there running around like crazy, raking yeah. a tree, bugling, cow yeah.
1: calling. When when they're with me doing it, it's like, it's, it's almost goofy, silly fun, man. I mean, we have a good time. We're actually out there acting parts. It's almost like we're putting on a play. Mm-hmm. And I just tell them to read off me. And so they're still learning a lot of that. So what I'll do is, is like, I will give, Uh, I'll give a bugle and just like a location bugle or I'll do even like I'll start doing some pants and some grunts and start doing some cow calls Mm -hmm. and then off in the distance, one of them will give the call, and then another guy will follow that up over on the side, and then they'll just watch my lead. They'll do that, and then they'll wait for me to go again, and so I'll do it again, and then a guy will kind of act up, you know, a little bit, and they don't start escalating until I they hear me warn them. Just like, you know, when I go back and I'm like. Rah, rah, rah. You know, then I'm starting to escalate the situation a little bit, and they're starting to learn this. But basically, it hasn't been complicated. They've been just basically using what they do as pretty much as location bugles, but they've learned to add more voice inflection mm-hmm. and more aggressiveness by just getting to that high tone right away uh-huh. a little bit. But they wait till I cut them off. Do you?
2: So does everybody have a role? Like, are you saying, Gilbert, you're going to be? bugling, right? You're going to be calling as a bull mm-hmm. and Minano, mm-hmm. you're a cow it, it, and it stays that way or, or are they just sort of we ad-lib it, man. Okay. Right that, now we're right. ad-libbing. That's right, if you're ad-libbing or yeah. you okay.
1: Yeah, and but because of their their skill set, they usually let me kind of guide it. Now, they hear what I do, and, and I tell them, maybe even try to copy a little bit of, of what I do. But when when I turn and I go at you, and then you come back, when I come back and scream at you, you know, when I cut them off, mm-hmm. then we get a little bit more intense with everything, yeah. right? Okay, so, that's good. Yeah, that's it, good. It, it, we have a good time with it. We really, really do. Man, it's a lot of fun. Here, they they enjoy because they're Gilbert is a more experienced caller. I mean, he's been with me for some time. Luis has really just starting to find his own. Mm-hmm. But when I do something like that with him, he gains a lot of confidence. Sure, sure, you know, yeah.
2: Here's a little tip. Don't, and not for you obviously, but for the (laughs) listeners, don't try this for the very first time in the Elkwoods. I would try this many, many times in your backyard (laughs) or wherever you have an opportunity to set up those team scenarios, Right. right? I think it's, I think a lot of times people probably get in that situation and they're like, crap, now what do we do? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Try it in your backyard. Practice. piss your neighbors off. Do whatever you got to do. You know, have I, I, a, I, at least have an idea of how you're going to play that scenario out.
1: And I tell people too, go on YouTube. Mm-hmm. You know, there's some incredible videos of elk being engaged, just long, long videos, and and watch what's going on and play the parts. Try to be each of those parts by yourself. Mm-hmm. Do that, That's man, good tip. Yeah. and and you start to gain some confidence. Uh, again, you're mimicking. You might not understand it all, but when you start watching their body and who's doing what, you know, it's like guys not being able to understand what a roundup bugle is from a location bugle uh-huh. to a scream or you lip know, balls or yeah. whatever. Yeah, Just,
2: there's so many different. Yeah, yeah. But,
1: but the thing is, is and I tell them it, it's usually volume, intensity, and length. Mm-hmm. Okay, so. Like you know, when you hear that, I mean, it's just right out like that, you know. And when you have that that challenge bugle, it's it's not going to be three seconds, man. They're just going to scream it and come back down, right? Whereas that location bugle is that long, you know, five second. And like I said, when I broadcast, man, I'll go good four or five seconds broadcasting like that. A roundup bugle, a, a challenge bugle, isn't like that, man. They're they're shortened to the point. Mm -hmm. (laughs) they're a real strong message
2: and quick very good we covered a ton of stuff man (laughs) um so two things left before i want to shut it down Uh first off and you guys are your podcast covers all of this stuff yes right so go check out the, the Blue Collar Elk Hunting Podcast, or Blue Collar Elk Hunter, right? Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Yeah, Blue Collar Elk Hunting Podcast. So mm-hmm. much information. And they so these guys just got through doing a, a whole series that breaks a lot of these different topics down mm-hmm. individually. So instead of us, me and Joe sitting here talking for an hour... About a few different topics, they do it one topic and, and does spend an hour talking about that topic. So it's phenomenal, and you get to hear their teammates and how the teammates sort of interpret the stuff that Joe's taught them over time. Yeah, so those are awesome. And,
1: and I want to tell you too, um, uh, be prepared because the first twenty minutes of our podcast has nothing to do with our content, and there might be a little bit that has something to do with our content. But it's basically us. We we have a show, and, and we really appreciate our listeners. Mm-hmm. We do shout-outs to our listeners. We'll talk to each other because we don't see each other all the time, man. And we're all in different cities, so sometimes we'll talk yeah. to each other a little bit. And then we do our shout-outs. And it's something that we do that uh we feel is important because our our people that listen to us are important so Mm -hmm. we do that for them and uh and then you're going to get an hour of content Mm -hmm. you know uh so you know if that first 20 minutes bothers you um you might just have to fast forward but you know Gilbert always said it's it's better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it and And we're going to have that. And it's something that we believe in. It's part of who we are. And uh, we do that. Plus, all this is free for you, man. So it ain't going to hurt you nothing to push a fast forward. Yeah, exactly. Skip, (laughs) skip, skip.
2: I'm sure a lot of people skip half of my podcast. But... uh, And those shout-outs are really cool, too. There's, there's usually a little nugget of, of information or trivia or however you want to call it in there. Uh-huh. What they do is they pick how, whatever the top five listening cities right. of the downloads for that, week, uh, yeah. for that particular week, mm-hmm. whatever it may be. Maybe it's Albuquerque, New Mexico. Mm-hmm. There'll be some little nugget of information that goes along with that, so a piece of history. Um, and the last thing I wanted to do in a five, ten minutes, whatever you want, okay. Joe, I um, understand you have a new base camp thing that you're going to be coming up with here real soon maybe by the time this releases it might be out yeah man Um, i mean let's talk about that
1: awesome because that is really the whole reason that all this started was the educational part and um we've been putting together uh our blue collar elk academy and it consists of different training camps uh when it's all complete there'll be three training camps we have base camp which is our beginning to I don't know, 10-year, maybe even more uh, hunter. And then we have our uh, spike camp, which we just take those skill sets a little bit higher level. And then we have our summit camp, which is those really high-level type things that some guys want to hear that don't want to do all the beginning stuff down there. Or, you know, maybe their skill set's totally different. And uh, so they, they don't have to pay for all that and be boggled to get through all of that. But our base camp uh, is what's going to be coming out first. And, and really... Um, it's going to we have about fourteen modules in our base camp, but we 're going to release it once we have five modules ready because they're going to be the modules that really most people are going to need before they get in the woods. Most of the other stuff they 've already done because our camp is done our training camps are done <laughs> like you 've never seen before, man. We use a whole different teaching method i 'm a coach and I actually do this the way I coach. And instead of, you know, most people, you think about a pyramid, um, most courses are going to give you all this information, all this knowledge. And as you go up, you're hopefully getting to the point where you understand all of this to the pinnacle so that you're able to get an elk. And the problem with that is, is most people don't know what to do with it, man. They don't know what fits them, what the next level looks like, what's going to be important and what's not. Mm-hmm. And so I, I like to think of it as uh, kind of like a, a video game. Like, I explained to you earlier where you're on a level and you're going and all of a sudden boom you fall through a hole so you start from the beginning you go a different route and boom you fall through a hole and then you go again until you get to the next level which you have no idea what it looks like what to expect by the time you get there you're not even sure if you know how you got there and so it's going to take game after game to really get good at that and if you compare that to elk hunting that's a lot of years right Mm -hmm. so I, I do just the opposite our camp's starts out with the point that is the most in your control and that's that point when that animal is there in front of you what i call closing the deal that's the most important and you know i don't care who you are if you're a hiker camper hunter there are people that have encounters with elk all the time. There's going to be hunters that are going to do everything wrong that are going to have an encounter with the elk, (laughs) right? But when they get that encounter, they don't know what to do with it because they've never been there, man. And and what we do is we work in reverse. It's what we call a top-down. I turn that pyramid upside down, and I start people with the what's in most in their control and we come back from closing that deal understanding how to finish how to take that animal to our next one to that is your setups But, but when you take a look at setting up on that animal before you're closing the deal now you've already been there you know what it looks like and so when you're doing that setup everything relates it's 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 like you have a direction and then you go from that to I heard a response well now you know okay well how do I deal with the response and then go into my setup which I know now into finishing the deal it 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 gives you that line of success. Mm-hmm. It is success training, success based training and not failure based training. So that's where it's different and as coaches we do it all the time and I talk about the the best football teams that have done the three you know, the two minute drill that Man, they know. They've been there. They know what to do. They know what, to, uh, what that experience is like to get down that field in two minutes and kick a winning field goal or a basketball team that has practiced that 2.2-second inbounds play to win a ball game. Mm-hmm. They know what it looks like because they've already been there, and, and that's the style of my training camp. Totally different. Totally uh, different. Yeah, totally different. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a coaching style. It's my coaching style, and, uh, and, and that's what I do. I'm an elk hunting coach, man. Awesome.
2: Well, I can't wait to see the base camp come out. We'll promote it, of course. We'll push it out so people have the opportunity to awesome. take it. Um, Joe, thanks for coming on today, man. I look for it. We're close, right? We're only how far are you from Albuquerque? Uh,
1: I'm from Albuquerque. I'm I'm about uh, three and a half hours. OK, so yeah. he's
2: not far. Yeah, I'm sure Joe will be back on the show. I'm looking <laughs> forward to it. We'll talk about a lot more about a we'll lot have to more. get you up
1: in the north, man.
2: Well, <laughs> I, I'm not opposed to that one bit. <laughs> okay. Not at all. So thanks, Joe, for coming on. Uh, let's. How do people find Elk Bros and the podcast and all that stuff?
1: Anything you want to find of ours, go to elkbros.com. That's E L K B R O S. dot com, and all of our podcast links are there. Our videos are there. Free content, stories, and link to our academy. Everything's there on that on that website.
2: YouTube link, all all of it. Yes, sir. You can right. find it all right there, and everything's Elk Bros anyway. If you wanted to search YouTube, it's Elk Bros. Instagram is Elk Bros, right? Yes. Yep. Yes. Very good. All right. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. That was, that was awesome. Yeah. That was very good. Thanks, bud. Cool.
0: <laughs> a life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. Six, eight Western. Oh, a mule the there, baby, right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.